we declare our victory and our hope is in you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. You can be seated. Amen. Praise God. Always good to obey the Lord, isn't it? Amen. Praise God. Well, it's good to be with you. We're excited to be here, and we're excited to be part of the move of God here. Amen. Pastor Mark and Ashley, we thank you for letting us come and be a part. Bonnie sends her apologies. She would love to have been here, but uh, just didn't get to work it out this time. But uh, we'll get her down here next time. Praise God. And she's suffering. She, there are five daughters, five girls, five sisters, one, and, and Bonnie and her, she has a twin. And so uh, it's a sister's uh, reunion at my house while I'm gone. Y'all pray for me. <laughs> Amen. But... Uh, Anyway, they're taking advantage of the situation, but uh, but they're getting together and having a big time. And so, uh, but anyway, she sends her love, and and we appreciate being here. Praise God and celebrating five years. Praise God, that's great. And we we celebrate with you, and and just believe God, there are great things in store for us. Amen. Praise God. And we appreciate Pastor Earl Marcy our and the friendship and and Pastor Bill and Alice Staten, our great friends from a long time. We we appreciate them coming over. They're down in Cairo now, and so uh, uh, we're excited about the ministry there, what they're doing, and and all the different ones we see. We we just appreciate and love everybody, uh, and st- so good times. Amen. Yeah. Hallelujah. I want us to pray, and we're going to get in the Word. We'll just take a few moments, you know, three or four hundred, and. Uh, I'm just kidding. Praise God. But we want to take a few moments and just look in some things I believe will really help us. And, and, you know, you've been here five years and you want to go forward. Amen. And the church right now is in a strategic moment in time. And we're going to have to move forward. And our nation is needing us to rise up and move forward. Are you listening to me? And so, you know, I just want to minister some along the lines that I think that will help us take the next step in advancing the kingdom of God. And pouring out what God wants to be done in the hour that we're living in. Amen. So let's pray. Father, we thank you now and praise you for the word. We trust you, Holy Spirit, to give us utterance. Lord, we thank you for giving us uh, cleared minds now to receive the word and graft it in. Giving us hearts open and receptive so that the word can be implanted. And Lord, we thank you tonight for speaking into each and every one of us. And Lord, we set ourselves to hear this word, receive it into our hearts and lives. And we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want you to turn to Matthew's gospel, the fourth chapter, Matthew, the fourth chapter, and, and I want you to, to, to look here, and we're going to actually begin in verse 17, but I do want to make a few comments here before we actually read the verse 17. You know, it, it's, it, as, as you read these chapters, chapter 3 and chapter 4 together, you begin to see John rising up in the ministry of Jesus, and Jesus comes to John, and, and he's baptized in the water, and then he comes out of the water, and the Holy Spirit comes down, and John had said, you know, when Jesus comes, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire, and, and of course, in John's gospel, the third chapter, when he talks about Jesus, he says that he receives the Spirit without measure. In other words, the Holy Spirit came on Jesus in his fullness. We might say it like this, Jesus was baptized in the Holy Ghost, amen? The fullness of God came upon him, and and then in, in chapter 4, you know, I got to look into this. I want to make a kind of take a little side journey here. It's just, it'll be a real good little uh, addition here. But chapter 4, it says in verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And so, you know, you get to read that. If you're not real careful, you say, Well, I certainly don't want the Spirit of God to come on me because the first thing happened to Jesus when the Holy Ghost got on him is he went in the wilderness and got tempted to the devil. Amen. But you know something? The Bible doesn't just put things in the Bible so we can have something to read. 
For every story, for every scripture, for everything that's illustrated, for every action, there is a reason it's in the Bible. And so I began to read this, and as I was studying this message, and I was praying it out, and I said, Lord, I know you went into the wilderness, you defeated the devil, but, but uh, you already had the devil defeated. I mean, you didn't have to defeat him there. You, you, you know, you, you've, always, you've never been conquered by that. You were always going to defeat the enemy. So was this in there? And, and the Lord began to speak to me, and he said this. He said, everything I did was an example to the people that would follow me. And everything I went through was to show you what you were going to have to go through. And he said, everything I said was something you was going to have to receive. And he says, notice that I get filled with the Spirit. And the very first thing that the Spirit of God does is he leads me to go into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Notice that the devil didn't entice me into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit led me. Luke says the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. So he's being led to go face his wilderness. Are you hearing me? See, when you and I get born again and we get filled with the Holy Spirit, that doesn't mean we're perfect. That means that now instead of running from our, our wildernesses and running from our problems and running from the things that we've been afraid of, the Holy Spirit empowers us to now go into those situations and face them. Only Jesus went into the wilderness to face his temptations and tests and trials and the things that he would have to face on his term, not on the devil's term. See, and when you begin to look at the test, you find that the devil comes and, and attacks Jesus first in his flesh. Amen? So what does the Lord do? He takes the word and defeats him. He says, you're not live by the flesh or by bread alone, but you're going to speak the word and live by the word of God. And, and then, so Jesus, by the help of the Holy Spirit, what's he do? He, he defeats the test and the temptation of the flesh. You and I, if we're going to serve God, we're going to have to let the Holy Spirit help us to put to death the evil deeds prompted by our flesh and not let the devil rule us through our flesh. Are you hearing me? Because until you come to the place where you allow the Spirit of God to help you to conquer your flesh, you'll never be able to do the things God wants you to do. You'll keep tripping over the same stumbling stones. Are you hearing me? And just because you give your heart to Christ and you get filled with the Spirit doesn't mean you don't have problems with your flesh. But the Holy Spirit has come to help you to deal with your flesh. Even Paul writing to the Corinthians said, listen, he says, I keep my body under. I buffet it. I keep a discipline so that when I preach others, I myself am not a castaway. He constantly kept his flesh under. We're to present our bodies. The Holy Spirit in Romans 8.13 says that we have the power of the Holy Spirit to put to death the evil deeds prompted by our flesh. So I want to tell you, you get filled with the Holy Spirit for this reason. So you can begin to dominate your flesh and not the devil. Second thing, the devil took him up on a pinnacle, says, jump off. God will send his angels to catch you at the bottom. It was an emotional, soulish attack. He attacked him in his emotional room. He attacked him in his social room, his mind. And Jesus turns to him and says, yeah, the Bible also says you're not to tempt the Lord God either. In other words, I can't just go out here and think any way I want to think and, and act any way I want to act and, and be emotional about everything. I need to get control of my mind. And so the second thing the Holy Spirit did through the Lord Jesus Christ was to show us that you don't allow the devil to do your thinking for you. James chapter 1 says you've got you to, to cast off all the overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save and renew and restore your soul. Amen. So we allow the Holy Spirit to help us to get control of our thinking and not let the enemy of the world or the motives of the world control our thinking. 
And then finally the devil hits Jesus where he really wanted to hit him all the time. And that is this. Is he shows him all the things of the world. He says, all you have to do to get this is just bow down and worship me. Because, see, that's really what the devil's wanting from you all along. And Jesus, of course, rebukes him. And says, you'll only worship the Lord God Almighty. And so the enemy leaves him. So Jesus shows us that he was filled with the Spirit. And immediately Jesus went into the wilderness on his terms and conquered his flesh, conquered his soul, and conquered his spirit man. And came out of there full of the power of the Holy Ghost to do the work of God. And if we're going to do the work of God, we need to put God in charge of our spirit, our soul, and our body. And then walk in the power and the anointing of God. Amen. It's time we as Christians follow the example of Jesus and instead of running from our fears and running from the wilderness and running from the temptations and running from the tests and denying they're there, it's time that we march into the enemy's camp and say, you are ruling my flesh no longer. I'm not going to be ruled by feelings and flesh. I'm going to be ruled by the Spirit of God. You're not going to control my thinking, Mr. Devil. I'm not going to think stupid thoughts. I'm not going to think ignorant thoughts. I'm not going to think worldly thoughts. I'm going to think holy thoughts and word thoughts. And my mind is coming into control of the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And number two, Mr. Devil, I'm not going to let you influence my spirit to try to take shortcuts and put prosperity and prestige and power over worshiping the Lord God Almighty. Because if I seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, God will give me all those things that you're offering me anyway, and you won't have any say in it. Hallelujah. And then Jesus, after he goes and does this, he comes out in verse 17, says he comes back to Galilee in verse 12. Then verse 17, from that time, from that time, do you see that? In verse 17, it says, from that time, Jesus, from the time he defeats the enemy, he comes back and he enters into his ministry now. Because he's laid the standard he's going to live by. So in Matthew four seventeen it says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, the, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately, everybody say immediately, immediately. left their nets and followed him. Jesus comes out of the wilderness After getting full control of his spirit, soul, and body, submitting himself totally and completely to his Father, comes out, Luke says, he entered out into the power of the Holy Spirit, began to preach the gospel. Here he says he began to preach the kingdom of God. And so what Jesus does is this. He comes out and his, he begins to release to the people the kingdom of God. And he begins to tell them how they can get into it. You see, Jesus came to reintroduce the kingdom back onto the earth to us. To bring us back into a place where we could walk under the authority and the rule of God and come out from under the rule and the authority of the devil. Amen? And the way you get into the kingdom is through repentance. See, we don't understand what repentance is. Repent doesn't mean penance or remorse. It means that you change the way you think. It changes the way you act. It changes the direction you're going and you turn. So Jesus says, listen, I'm coming to offer you a different kingdom, a different set of rules, a different law. I'm coming to get you into a relationship with God. And all you've got to do to get into it is turn from what you're doing and come do it my way. So Jesus comes to do this. Now, Jesus then in verses 18 and 19 and 20, he finds Peter and his brother Andrew. And what does the Lord do? Immediately he invites them to join with him. Amen. 
Now, let me show you something here. Let me read this verse 19 and 22 in the Amplified. It says, and he said to them, come after me. See, follow me. Come after me. Now, listen to what the Amplified says. As disciples, letting me be your God. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Notice Jesus didn't just ask them to come and be believers. He asked them to come and be disciples. Come on, he did, he's, he's not out looking for believers, he's out looking for some disciples. And the Amplified brings it out, and he says, Come after me as disciples, letting me be your guide. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, verse 20, At once they left their nets and became his disciples, sided with his party and followed him. Hallelujah. Isn't that good? In other words, they dropped everything and said, You know what? I'm going to side in with Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to walk with Jesus. I'm going to get involved with Jesus. Because, see, Jesus didn't ask them to just be believers. He asked them to be disciples and followers. I looked up the word follow. And, and, and it just, it, you know, if you begin to study it out and, and, and let God show you, it means to, to join in one's way, to, to walk after, to imitate and work with. Hallelujah. So they came after Jesus. They followed Jesus. They began to walk with Jesus. And what's he doing? He's inviting them to be a part of his purpose. He's inviting them to be involved with his ministry. He's inviting them to work with him. Amen? So immediately we see Jesus coming out of the wilderness comes in the power of the Holy Spirit. He immediately begins to tell us why he's here. And he's here to bring the message that God is reintroducing his kingdom back to humanity. And the way you get into that is by repentance and faith in the Lord. And then you stop doing your thing and you start following and doing his thing. Amen? Because you see, folks, there's a difference in a believer and a disciple. Just because you're a believer doesn't make you a disciple. I'm going to prove it to you. See, he didn't ask them to be a believer. He asked them to be a disciple. In Matthew 28, verse 19, he didn't say go in all the world and make believers. He said to go in all the nations and make disciples. Look in Matthew, the 11th chapter. Matthew, chapter 11. Look over here in the last three verses. In verses 28, 29, and 30. Let me show you something here. Come to me, Jesus says, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, he's speaking to people that are under the law. And he's speaking to people that are badgered, beat up, under pressure, living under guilt and condemnation. Because, you see, here's the thing. Religion never sets you free. Religion always beats you down. Come on. Religion controls you through condemnation. And if we don't understand what the message of the kingdom is and what the gospel is, we preach religion. And we're just as guilty as the Pharisees. Right. Says, I said, what are you talking about? Here's the thing. Jesus says, come to me, all you labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. In other words, I'll change everything. Religion is this way. You read five chapters of the Bible. You lay it down. You go in. You get ready to go to bed. And condemnation comes on you because you think, I had another half hour. I could have read another chapter. You pray for 30 minutes, and you're worshiping God. You get up, and you walk out, and 15 minutes later, uh, you know, something happens, and you don't react exactly right. You have lost the 30 minutes of prayer because religion says, see, 
You could have, you should have prayed another hour. It doesn't matter how much you do. You can go to church every day, every time the door is open for three weeks in a row. And I'll tell you what, you miss the next service and religion will have you so condemned that those three weeks of steady service had nothing to do to change your life. Jesus did not come to bring religion. He came to bring righteousness. He came to bring the kingdom of God. And he comes to us and he says this. You that are bound up. You that can never get ahead. You that are always condemned. You that are always living in a place trying to get good enough for God to love you. Trying to get good enough for God to bless you. Trying to get good enough to feel like you can approach God. He says what you need to do is you need to come to me. And then he begins to tell us what he wants to do. He says, come to me, you who are laboring and under that heavy burden and heavy laden, under the, the yoke of the, of the enemy and under religion. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Notice here he mentions his yoke twice. I got to reading, and I studied out, and I, and I said, Lord, what, what are you talking about, yoke? Well, the simplest definition of a yoke is, is, is a, uh, a harness that connects two together you've seen them i mean you know uh if you've seen the old days you know they would yoke two horses or two uh, mules or they would yoke two and and there was a uh, there was a thing that went across and had something to drop that came down over their neck and you tighten it together and they were yoked that meant they had to go together wherever they were going amen then I, the, the other Greek definition for yoke was, was, was this, his teachings, doctrine, and rule of life. So Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Yoke in that day of rabbi, when he spoke of a yoke, he meant his teachings, his doctrine, and his rule of life. You understand? So let's take and put both definitions together. Jesus says, come and take my yoke upon you, my teachings, my doctrine. My rule to life and put it upon you and get yoked up with me. Now, my brother-in-law was, uh, he farmed and, and up in Virginia and, 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 you know, and they raised uh, crops. And back when he was in his younger years, uh, growing up on his grandfather's farm, they, they plowed with mules, they plowed with oxen, they had horses. And he said, you know, he said, if you had a real strong horse, you didn't take two strong horses and put them together in the, and yoke them up and put them on a team. He said, and have two weeks. He said, you'd take a strong, mighty, powerful horse and you'd take a weaker one and yoke it, the weaker one with the stronger. And he said that way the weaker one would get more work done because the stronger one would give him the, the extra added uh, strength that he needed. And between the two, you would get more work done. So he said you'd always have that alpha, that strong horse. And then you'd take a weaker horse and yoke him with him. And you'd get twice as much work out of the weaker horse because he would draw from the strength of the stronger horse. Jesus says, take my yoke. He didn't say make me part of your yoke. He says, you come and get yoked with me. You're the weaker one, but if you get yoked up with me, you'll draw from my strength and you'll get twice as much done in your life as you could if you didn't have me. But now here's the thing. If you put that weaker horse in the yoke with the stronger horse, the weaker horse has to go where the stronger horse is going. Because the stronger one's trained. He's, he's, he knows what he's going. And he's going along and the weaker one looks over here and sees something he wants to go. And he goes, oh, ah, you know, he can't get there. Because the strong one says, no, we're not done yet. We're not going that way. We're going this way. And notice Jesus doesn't say, come here and make me, let me make you put this yoke on. No, he says, come and take my yoke upon me. In other words, I'm asking you to willingly come and hook up with me. Yeah. 
See, that's exactly what he says in Matthew, the fourth chapter, that the disciples, Peter and Andrew, did. He says they left everything immediately. They came after him and went after him and did it his way. Joined in with his side. They took his yoke. Then this is the thing. Then the yoke means his teachings, his doctrine, his rule of life. In other words, he's saying, now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to side in with me. I want you to accept my teachings. I want you to accept my doctrine. And I want you to let it be the rule of life that governs your life. Amen? Then notice up here in this, 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 uh, the 20th verse, he also says, and learn from me. The word learn, you get the same root word that you get disciple from. And some translations there, he says, take my yoke upon you, be my disciples. Hallelujah. And so, therefore, Jesus is inviting us to be his disciple. But to be a disciple, what do I have to do? He says, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You see, folks, here's the thing. Every disciple is a believer, but not every believer is a disciple. Somebody says, oh, no, no, no. Every disciple is first a believer, but not every believer is a disciple. Because there are some people that literally they believe in the Lord, but all they want to do is is serve God enough to go to heaven. They haven't yoked up with him. They haven't learned his doctrine. They haven't learned his rules. They haven't learned how to live. They aren't involved in his purpose. They don't understand him. They only show up whenever they need him. But Jesus didn't come for a, to raise up a church of believers. He came to raise up a church of disciples. Listen to me. You say, how do you know that? Because in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, Jesus is preaching over there. And then he turns and a bunch of the people believed him. And Jesus in verse 31 says, and Jesus turned to those Jews who believed in him and said this. If you abide or continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. They were already believers, but to become disciples, they had to get into the word and let the word change the way they thought, the way they lived and the way they acted and the where they did a disciple is a follower of the lord jesus christ now that doesn't mean that to be to become a disciple that you have to quit your job and go off and start being an apostle somewhere he doesn't call everybody apostles he calls us to be all disciples What's a disciple? A disciple is one who brings the teachings of Jesus, the rules of Jesus, the lifestyle of Jesus, one who imitates their teacher on their job, in their home, in their daily life. We begin to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and we begin to live the life that he has for us. Amen. A disciple is one who imitates their teacher. A disciple is one who embraces the teachings of their teacher and acts upon those teachings in their life. A disciple is one who tries to mimic, act like, talk like, and be like their teacher. Are you hearing me? Jesus came to make disciples. He came to create a people that would think like him, walk like him, talk like him, get involved in his works, do the things of the kingdom of God, and be just a group of people that were so impassioned to serve God that they stood out. And listen to me, folks, all throughout the book of Acts, when you begin to read, they are not known as believers. They're always referred to as the disciples. 
Even in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus goes up on the mountain and sits down, it says, and the disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Immediately he's talking to them and calling them disciples. Those who have taken his yoke upon them, those who have accepted his teaching, his rule of life, his way of doing things, and say, I want to be like you. I want my mind changed to think like you, Jesus. I want my actions changed to be like you, Jesus. I want to be passionate about what you're passionate about. I want to go where you go. I want to do what you want to do. I want to be a follower of you. I want people to recognize that I have been with Christ. That's a disciple. And that's what Jesus came to make us. And to do that, you have to learn it. See, you become a believer by calling out upon the name of the Lord. Believing that he died for your sins and God raised him from the dead. That's how you become a believer. Amen? See, Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us that if you believe that Jesus Christ died for you and God raised him from the dead and confess him as your Lord, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unrighteous, with the mouth confession made into salvation. And when you do that, you believe. You become a believer. Yeah. Amen? You're a believer. But just because you're a believer, you're not anywhere near yet being a disciple. Because to be a disciple, now you've got to go beyond being a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ to being a follower of Jesus Christ. Now you have to learn of Jesus Christ. Now you have to get into the Word and let the Word begin to change the way you think and the way you see things and the way you do things, your attitudes and how you treat people. Remember what Jesus said over in John 13, 34, and 35? He said, we are to love one another, and we're to minister love. And as he's loved us, we're to love each other. And what did he say then? He said, and by your love, they'll know that you're my disciples. When you act like me, treat people like I would, when you do it according to my word, you'll be recognized as a disciple, one who is yoked up with Jesus, one who has learned of Jesus, one who is imitating his teacher, her teacher, and walking after the Christ. Amen? See, that's the purpose. That's, 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 that should be the aim of every believer, is to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, to walk with him. You know, the Bible says over in Acts 17, 6, that, that, that they that have turned the world upside down have come here. You know who turned the world upside down? Disciples. They were not just believers. They were, they were people with a purpose. Hallelujah. But here's the thing. Like I said, I won't preach to you long tonight because the Spirit of God's moving and we're going to let him move some more. But you've got to get a hold of this message. See, we haven't heard any teaching on discipleship. Get saved. Get filled with the Holy Ghost. Join the church. Hallelujah. But Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 18, All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe, to do all the things that I've commanded you to do, baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the ages. What's he saying? Go make disciples. People who learn of me, live for me, walk after me. And the very things that I commanded you to do, tell them because I want them to become my disciples too. So why are we not becoming a disciple? Because for you to become a disciple and to understand the actions of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, you have to first understand and know what the cause of Jesus is. And you know what's the problem with the church today? We have lost the cause.
We don't know what their cause. What's our cause? What's our purpose? Remember when David went down to the battlefield and Goliath is out there screaming and hollering and, 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 and he just took some, some food down to his brothers. He just excited. I mean, he'd been back there tending sheep, killing lions and bears. You know, just everyday, you know, normal shepherding. And he shows up with some food for his older brothers. And here comes this giant out there screaming, hollering, cussing, and carrying on, and accusing people, and threatening people. And, and he looks at all these covenant soldiers. And just as soon as they hear that loudmouth giant, they go jump in a ditch. And David goes, what is wrong with you? Why don't somebody go up here and whip him? Then somebody says, my God, did you hear somebody go out there and whip him? He gets tax-free the rest of his life. He gets to live with the king. I mean, there's some stuff that comes in. David said, say it again. I don't need that to motivate me because I know who I am. I'll whip him anyway, but if there's a reward here, I want to hear about that too. And you know what? The brothers who are armed, trained soldiers, get mad because David is over here talking about defeating a giant. Why? Because they forgot the cause. They don't know why they're out there. They're just soldiering. They're just going through the motion. And David looks at him and what's his, what's his response? Is there not a cause? You people don't know why you're here. And you see, folks, if you don't know why you're here, you don't know why you're fighting the devil. You don't know why you're standing against sin. You don't know why you're coming to church. You don't know why you're singing these praises unto God. You don't know why you're reading your Bible. You see, if you don't know the cause, you don't understand what being a disciple is. If you don't know the cause, you don't even understand the actions of Jesus. You, how can you understand Jesus and what he did if you don't understand his cause? Well, what's his cause? Well, let's take a moment and look. Look in John the third chapter. Let's reintroduce the cause because once I believe the church rediscovers the cause, we'll start making disciples. And when we start making disciples, we'll change the nations. John chapter 3. Jesus has been speaking in Nicodemus. He's talking about being born again, talking about the kingdom of God and how you've got to get born again. You've got to become a believer to even see it and understand its operations. And then he gets down to verse 13. And he says, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Now, he's starting to reveal his purpose for coming, his cause. So you have to understand the cause of Jesus before you'll take his yoke upon you. You have to understand his cause. You have to understand what he's about. You have to understand what he's come to do before you're going to embrace his teachings and his lifestyle and his rule of law. Okay, so here's here he starts telling us his cause verse 14 and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness Even so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish But have eternal life. He starts telling him he's going to die and he's going to die the death of the cross He's he's prophesying his death to the people and he's prophesying that through his death redemption's coming to the world Because just like they looked at the fiery serpent on the pole and they were delivered from the bite of the serpent They are going anybody that looks at Jesus is going to be delivered from this eternal death then he says in verse verse uh, 16, we, we all know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And everybody goes, that's the cause. Hallelujah. No, it's not. That's what he came to do, to give us eternal life. But listen to me, folks. If that's the cause, then what we're going to do is this. We're going to have a baptism service. And we're going to rebaptize everybody. 
And I'm going to hold you under and pray extra long until you quit bubbling and send you off to heaven. Because if Jesus just came to give you eternal life, we just might as well send you on. Hallelujah. I notice nobody's signing up for this baptism service. You're not quite as excited about dying and going to heaven as you thought you were. So apparently going to heaven was not the cause of Jesus coming. Huh? I mean, that must not be his cause. Because if that was his cause, man, let me in the tank first. Hallelujah. I want to see everybody's face when they come through the gates. You know. But that's not the cause. Because you hold somebody down in the water a little while, and I'll tell you what, they will kick, scream, squall, ball, throw a fit to get out. Because nobody's real excited about that. It's real funny. We were doing a baptism service, and my son was doing the baptism, and we had one of the young sons, and his dad's one of our leaders, and he told his son, he says, now when Pastor Josh baptizes, he's going to hold you down a little extra long. And his son remembered that. So whenever Josh took him down, he pushed his feet and pushed himself back up. Because he, he was a good son. And he came out of there, hallelujah, and he got out of the tank real quick. And then we found out that his dad had said that to him. I'm going to smack you, you Sorry, but his son was real concerned about being held underwater too long. Why? Because God's cause was not to get us saved, to get us to heaven. It's not what Jesus came. Verse 17 is what is the cause. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, when you understand Jesus came to deliver us from religion and bondage and darkness He came to bring us out of that hardship and out of that heavy burden and bring us into the kingdom of God so that we could begin to walk in the rest of God. We could walk in relationship with God. We could walk in the mercies of God. We could enjoy the blessings of God. We could go to Him and call Him Father. Listen to me, folks. The Bible says that we should receive the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The writers of the Bible, when they translate, they didn't have the courage to, to translate Abba. Abba really is a Greek word. And if you translate it the closest you can get is Daddy. And he was saying, I'll be God to the world and I'll be father to the believers. But everybody that will press in and take my yoke upon them and walk after me, I'll become daddy. And daddy is the most intimate way you can refer to him. And Jesus came to bring us into that relationship where God would become daddy. Hey, dad. And we could walk in that type of rest and that type of peace and that type of love and that type of security with him. And we could yoke up with Jesus knowing he's not going to mislead us. He's not going to put the burden on us. He's going to take the extra strength when it gets tight. And he's the one that's going to bear down whenever we get into a hard place. And he's going to pull that thing through until we get to the other side. You look out of a team. And folks, I'm going to tell you what. You don't look at them and go, whoa, look at that great horse. No, you look out of the team. Man, that's a great looking team. And you know what? You and I get to stride along with the prince of princes and king of kings and the lord of lords and the great and mighty one. And he makes us look good every day. Now you can understand in Matthew chapter 9 what Jesus, he's preaching, getting people. And he looks out over the multitudes of hurting people and, and, and people that are displaced and, and people that have been wounded and, and, and people that have no purpose and people that are just, just, you know, doing crazy things. And instead of condemning them, what did Jesus do? He was moved with compassion and reached out to them. See, you can't understand his actions until you understand his cause. 
And his cause was not to come and condemn us and beat us down and put us under a bunch of religious rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. And we could never feel the comfort or, or, or the goodness or the peace of God. He came to save us and enter into a relationship with us. And bring us into a place where we could walk with him and serve him and learn of him and be more like him and be transformed in his image and take upon him his his very nature and walk with him. Praise God. You see, that's a disciple. A disciple is somebody who knows the cause and says, I want to be a part of it. A disciple says, I know what Jesus came to do. He came to set people free. He came to bring them out of bondage and out of condemnation and hurts. He came to heal their hearts. He came to heal their emotions. He came to deliver them from Satan's lies and, and give them a new life. He came to bring them out of the dominion of darkness and bring them over to make them qualified to partake of an inheritance that would just that impossible to get without him. Jesus brought me into his ministry. Now look in Matthew, the fifth chapter. Real quickly, look over here in the fifth chapter of Matthew. Jesus begins to teach the disciples. And you get down here in, in verse 13. And listen to what Jesus does. He says, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, let me tell you something. The devil can't stop you from being salt. But he can stop you from being salty. Satan can't stop you from being a believer, but he can stop you from being a disciple. He can steal your flavor. He can neutralize your Christian witness. That's what means being without flavor is good for nothing. That means, yeah, you're still a believer, but, but you're not, but you've lost your influence. You've lost, you've lost anything that you had that could be used for God. And Satan wants to neutralize Christians today. Why? He wants us to forget our cause. Well, your cause is to prosper. And be no, it didn't. The, the cause is to serve the Lord and expand the kingdom of God and bring glory to the name of Jesus and, and let people know that Jesus is the answer to their hurts. It's to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. It's not to pursue the things. It's to pursue the giver of the things. So he says, we're to be salty, being poured in. Somebody says, well, y'all pray for me. I'm the only Christian on the job. No, I'm not going to pray for you. I'm going to celebrate you because that's your mission field. And you get to go in there and pour yourself into that and be a disciple and show people that Jesus came to set them free. I mean, you're in a perfect place to let your light shine. Don't let the devil steal your flavor. And that's exactly what's going on in this country right now. The enemy's trying to steal the flavor out of the salt. So that we have no effect on anything we're doing. And folks, I want to tell you, he can steal the salt from a believer, the saltiness of a believer. But he can't steal the saltiness from a disciple. Acts chapter 4, they brought Peter and John in after they got the man healed. And they said, don't you preach anymore in the name of Jesus. And Peter looked at him and said, listen. We're going to obey you. We're going to obey God. You're crazy. We're going to do what God told us to do. And he just spoke right up with boldness. He refused to let them steal his saltiness because he was a disciple, not just a believer. And he knew his cause and he knew his purpose. And his purpose was more important to him than the opinions of the people. Amen. So Jesus says, you're to be salty. And then look what he says. You're, a light on, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. What's he saying? He's saying, you can't hide that you're a believer. People even know you came to church here tonight. They think you're crazy. You're going there to the football game tonight. What are you going to church for? 
So they already know that you're salt and you're light. So what are you going to do about it? Don't hide it. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but under a lampstand. And it gives light to all the house. What's he saying? He's saying, if you're going to be a Christian, do it. Get in. Drop your nets. Are you listening to me? Get rid of your way of doing it and learn how to do it God's way. Bring Jesus into every area of your life. Bring his ways into every area of your life. Be a disciple in your family. Be a disciple in your home. Be a disciple with your relationship with your husband and wife. Be a disciple in your relationship with your kids. Be a disciple in relationships with your neighbors. In other words, everybody ought to know who you are. And it shouldn't be in their face knowing who you are. It should be saying, those people are real. They love the Lord. They serve God. And if you want some prayer done, you should go to them. Amen. And you should be serving people, ministering to people. Look what he says. He says, let your light so shine before men. Ooh. Let your light shine before men. In other words, don't be a secret service Christian. Amen. On Sunday mornings, most of the praise service should be you know, and, and some kind of a spy song. Because secret service agents have just come to church. Come on, believers are secret service Christians. A disciple is a blatant out there, here's what I do, Christian. Look at what he says. Let your light so shine before men. Let them see Jesus in your life that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, let me tell you. Let me dispel a lie. The devil comes to you and says, oh, if you start living for God and act like Jesus, people persecute you and get rid of you and they'd hate you. He says that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. He didn't say let your good works be seen before Christians. He said let your good works be seen before men. Tell you the lie of the devil. I can't live for God and be like that. I wouldn't have any friends. You'll have more friends than you have now if you'll start doing it. Don't listen to the lie. My mom's up in her eighties, and and I've ministered to her, and she's she's, I mean she she's just grown in faith over the last several years and stuff, and she still plays the piano for the little country church for their their song service when she goes to church with them. And she was telling me, you know. She was shopping last year, and I've taught her about faith, and, I've, and, and she's real receptive now. When I first got filled with the Holy Spirit, she thought I was crazy. But then, you know, she kind of figured out, that's working. So, you know, now she's all in, praise God. But she said, you know, I want to, she loves Kmart. That's the thing back home, you know. She's a Kmart shopper. But she, she, she loves Kmart. So she said, you know, I was in Kmart. And I was coming through, and this little girl, she just seemed all flustered. And, you know, I looked at her, and I said, honey, you, you just, you know what? Do you know Jesus? And she looked at me like, well, I used to go to church. She goes, that's your problem. You used to go to church. You know what you need to do? You need to get back in church. You need to give your heart back to Jesus and let him help you. Let me pray for you. And she said, I reached over and prayed for her. And when I got done, she said, thank you, ma'am. And she rung me up and I walked out. She says, you know, she was happy I prayed for her. She wasn't fussing because I was praying for her. She didn't get mad and tell me I was some crazy fanatic. She appreciated that I was willing to care enough for her hurting time to minister to her. It's a lie of the devil that says they're going, oh, they're going to cuss you out if you try to be a Christian. No, they're not. Now, they are if you put it in their face and hit them with religion. 
But if you reach out with compassion like Jesus did, know your cause. Your cause is not to condemn them. Your cause is to help them. Your cause is to introduce them. Your cause is to bless them. Your cause is to, to bring them into to the rest of the Lord. And when you understand your cause and you let the cause determine your actions, then you become like Jesus. And when the church becomes like Jesus, we're going to see revival take place in the United States of America. Because that's what the world's looking for. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you now and praise you for the word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that we stand here tonight determined to be disciples, followers of Christ, imitators of our Lord, yoking ourselves up with you. And, Lord, I thank you tonight for that anointing. I thank you, Lord, for your presence. I thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that's already begun to move and bless and help us in this house. And, Lord God, we just look to you right now. I ask you to speak to every heart, speak to every individual. And we just begin to drink in and draw in the anointing of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I want every person who says, I am a believer that Jesus is my Lord, I want you to stand to your feet. Come on, I've made a commitment to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Hallelujah. We all stand and say, I've been speaking to the body. And my purpose, I had another message that I was going to, that I really thought I was going to preach down here. And I just kept praying and the Lord said, no, I want you to preach and be my disciple. Follow me. It's been a burden on my heart to, to have people to realize there's another step after you give your heart to Christ. And it's that step of willingly taking his yoke, his doctrine, his teachings, his rules, his way of living upon yourself. And learning how to live that life. Learning the cause of why Jesus saved you. Because the same cause of Him saving you is the same cause He wants to save somebody that you know. He didn't want you destroyed. He didn't want you condemned. He didn't want you under the burden of religion. Never being able to be good enough to be accepted of God. He wanted you to wake up and realize there's rest in my soul. God loves me. I'm not perfect. I'm still flawed. I'm still struggling. I'm working on that flesh, Lord. I'm working on that thinking, too. But my heart has been totally, 100% turned to you. Lord, I put your yoke upon me. And I know every now and then I kick and I try to pull away and I try to get you to stop. And I don't want to go ahead and finish out the road with you. I want to stop in the middle of the operation. But Lord, I'm yielding more. I'm learning that there's a reason you want to go all the way to the end. I'm learning, Lord, to go beyond being a starter to a finisher. And I'm realizing now, Lord, I'm not praying to be accepted by you. I'm praying to release your power and your anointing and your goodness and your love and your, your will. Because I'm in partnership with you. See, when we understand our calls, all of a sudden, anger, faith about Dosta has a reason for being.
when I, when, I, when I remind myself, renew myself of the cause, then I understand why I'm where I'm at doing what I'm doing. And then my actions begin to be a response to the cause. Jesus fed people because he came to help them. Jesus didn't condemn people because he came to set them free. Jesus healed people because he wanted them to, to live their lives full. Jesus delivered people because he didn't want Satan dominating them. Jesus came and went on the cross because he could look down the line and see you and me and knew that we were going to need his help. And so his love extended right on down the years to you and me right from the cross and said, One day, Daryl Huffman's going to get born. He's going to have some rough times. His daddy's going to leave him when he's two years old. He's going to grow up dirt poor. He's going to grow up with people mocking him. He's going to grow up. He's going to, but he's going to have some talent. He's going to be able to have, he'll have some some speed, some athletic ability, and he's going to try to build his life on athletics, but I've got a different plan for him. So on the cross, I see that poor, defeated, insecure boy as a mighty man of God. So I'm going on the cross for him. And his actions for me was a result of his cause, and I'm part of that cause. And you're a part of the cause. And to be a disciple, we yoke up with that cause. It's no longer just about me, Lord. It's about somebody's life. It's me letting my light shine. It's me walking the walk that you walked. It's me caring for people. It's me being a light in a dark room. It's me doing a good work when everybody else is doing bad works. Making a difference. How many in here now, you stood up and said, I'm a believer. How many of you are ready to say, now, Lord, I'm ready to press on and become a disciple? Come on, lift those hands up to the Lord. I'm ready to be a disciple. I'm not just going to be a believer. I'm going to be a follower. I'm going to take his yoke upon me. No longer my will, but thy will be done, Lord. And just like the, the Peter and Andrew, they just immediately dropped their nets. I mean, they just said, Lord, this is so good. I'm not letting anything stop me. I'm starting today. I'm starting right now. And even with Peter, listen, they didn't stop being fishermen. They fished all the time Jesus ministered. Even after his resurrection, they were out fishing. You know, Paul was a great apostle, but he also built tents at certain places to help him pay for his ministry. Like I said, being a disciple is involving the way of the Lord in whatever life you have. And wherever you're at, you're light, you're salt, you're his representative. And you know why you're there. Right now, let's pray all over this house. I want you to begin to ask the Lord to just pour spirit into and upon you. And I tell you what I'm going to do. You know, we can pray for boldness. In Acts chapter 4, when they turned the disciples loose, they went back to their own company, the Bible says, and they began to worship God. And they began to declare how great He was. And then, you know, they said, Lord, now behold their threats. And grant unto thy servants, thy disciples, those who are serving you, living for you, sold out to you, that with all boldness we may speak your word. And then they got real bold. 
And we're asking you, Lord, to stretch forth your hand and heal and do signs and wonders through the name of thy holy child, Jesus. In other words, Lord, we want people to see you in us. If you're here tonight and you say, Pastor Herman, I, I want that boldness. Tonight, I make the decision. I will be the disciple of the Lord. That doesn't mean you're going to go out and preach all over the world. Could be. Doesn't mean you're going to show up on the job next week and have a, you know, call everybody together and preach. But it means that they're going to see Jesus in your actions. They're going to see Jesus in your attitudes. You're going to pray and ask the Lord to make you salty on that job or where you're at. You're going to ask the Lord to help you to show the light of His love in your actions and the way you treat them. And they're going to see a difference in you. They're going to say, What happened to you? You don't seem to be the same person you were. And you're going to look at him and say, you know what? I'm not just a believer. I'm the disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a follower of Christ. And I want you to see Jesus in my life. Amen? Now, you say, I want to get a hold of that. I'd like to pray with you. I don't want you to just come up here and stand in the front right now. I, I, want, that, I want that courage. I want that anointing. I want that boldness. Come on. Anybody need that? Anybody say, I want that? I want my life changed radically, Lord. I want that boldness in my life. Boldness to stand up. Maybe, you, 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 you know, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but He's given us a spirit of power, love, and of a sound mind. Amen? Why? So we can be a bold witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to tell you something, church. We're going to have to quit letting the devil talk us out of being God's voice. Come on. Now, we need to have, ask God to give us the wisdom on when to say, what to say, and how to say. We just don't go out here and sprout off. But at the same time, we need to be willing to yield to the Lord and say, Lord, help me to be your voice. You know, one of the great things that marked the disciples of the early church? They, with passion, spoke the Word of God. They knew their cause. They knew the reason for being here. Listen to me, folks. I am excited about going to heaven someday, but not today. Because I am excited about doing what God called me to do. I'm excited about battles. I know I've got battles in front of me. I know I've got opposition in front of me. I know that every day the rest of my life isn't going to be peaches and cream. But I'm excited about life. Amen. Even after Pastor Mark tried to make me feel old tonight, praise God. Because you see, I know what my cause is. And you know what? Because I, I, I know my cause, there's nothing in my life that I can't lay down, turn away from, release, and change and do. Are you hearing me? Because if the Lord wants me to go right, I'm going right. If He tells me to go left, I'm going left. If He tells me to stop, I'm just going to stop. If He tells me to shout, I'm going to shout. Somebody says, why are you going to shout? I'm just going to shout. And then when I start shouting, He'll tell me what to shout. We're going to be bold about it. Amen.